Welcome to TJH, your go-to podcast for all things journeying home to yourself. I'm your host, Hayley Curtis, Gene Keys and Women's Transformation Guide, here to encourage and usher you into remembering who you are by peeling back the veil on all things shadow work, self-love, self-worth, relationships, gene keys, breakthrough, awakening, and so much more. One thing I know to be true about you is that you are utterly magnificent. And here at the Journey Home Podcast, I will be walking hand in hand with you as you discover and remember your magic. Let the voyage begin. Hello, beautiful people, and welcome to the very first episode of the Journey Home Podcast. I am, (laughs) I can't even put into words how grateful I am that you are here and how honored I feel to have a space in your ears right now, to have a space in your life, whether it just be through the small snippets of listening to this podcast or whether you're a bigger part of my world and maybe you're in my membership or maybe you've worked with me one-on-one or maybe you've just been following me on Instagram for a really long time. However you have found me and however you have stumbled across this place, I want to let you know how appreciative I am for your presence and how honored I am to get to share about my life, the people in my life, the things that I've been through, the things that the women I've worked with have been through and just all things journeying home to yourself. That is what this podcast is all about. It is a safe, nourishing, fun, playful, curious place in which you can tune into to feel inspired and held and just gently ushered inward. That is really what this space is about and this podcast is something that I have wanted to start for so long, so long. I have been wanting to start this podcast and I have just rebranded my business. This podcast is launching on the day that my rebrand is launching and it felt like the perfect time to finally bring myself into the space of podcasting and to really start peeling back more of the layers of my own story and more of the wisdom that I have to share because that's really why I wanted to start this podcast because there is so much within me that I want to share with you. So much that has inspired me and at times made me fall to my knees in just deep gratitude that hasn't just been for me. It's meant for you as well. And this isn't just a space to share wisdom and and to share about journeying home, but it's a space of, of fun. And, you know, I'm equal parts gentleness and just ridiculousness. (laughs) That is really, you know, I'm both and I get to be both and this podcast gets to be both as well. So it is my hope that as you come and, and you wrap your ears around this, that your heart feels moved, but your belly moves with laughter as well, because um, that's what I'm here to share with the world. And I don't want to keep I don't want to keep it all for myself. Some of it's for myself. You know, there's some parts of my life and um, some things that I've journeyed through that may never make its way onto this podcast, but a lot of it will. And a lot of it is meant to. And I just want to say thank you for being here. Mm. So as I was pondering on where I wanted to begin this podcast, I thought to myself, well you're going to have to begin at the beginning. (laughs) And when I've thought about how the parts of my story that I've shared within my business so far, whether it be through my Instagram or through the Journey Home, my membership and, and the stories that I've told in there, 
or even in a one-on-one capacity with clients and, and where I've shared my story in there, a lot of the time my story has begun from when I became unwell in my early 20s. And that's really the story of me that people know, Haley from sort of 21 onwards. But my story of journeying home to myself started long before then. It started at my conception and really it, it really came into motion at my birth. And so that's where I'm going to take you today. We are going to start from the beginning and this is going to be a two-part episode. It's going to be my journey home to myself because this podcast and my entire business and it's more than a business, it's an ecosystem and it's not just about me. And It is called The Journey Home and so these first two episodes are going to be my journey home. I would love to share with you my journey home but my journey home to myself first begins with my journey away from myself because that is what our childhoods, our teenage years do to us. We sort of come into this world whole and home and then we start to have these experiences and we go out into the world and we gain this illusion that we have become separate. We end up experiencing this illusion that we are not home. And after that process, then the process of the journey home begins because we strayed and and we lost our way, but we never actually lost our way. We can't be separated from home even if we tried to be. And that is, that is my story of my journey home, my story of um, my first 21 years, which is going to be this episode, my first 21 years, my first three seven-year cycles of life. And then the next episode is going to be from 21 until now. And so I just feel so honored to share this with you. It's definitely not a representation of what the rest of this podcast is going to be. Um, This podcast isn't just going to be all about my childhood and things like that, but I feel like it's the most important place to begin because this is the context that I'd really love to give you about my life so that as I share um, all of the, the teachings or the wisdom or the interviews and the life experiences in the episodes to come, you sort of have this context of, who is Haley and, and what, what life did I grow up living and, and what's the story of my journey home to myself? And so let's begin right there at the beginning. I'm going to share the story of my upbringing as transparently as I can without going into details of people in my family and their stories that aren't my story to tell. And really that's what's held me back from starting a podcast and sharing more of my childhood up until now because there's those feelings of like, oh, but what about my mom and my dad and my sisters and how do I share who I am without overstepping their right to privacy, right? Because in a family, your stories become so intertwined. However, I've finally come to a place where I'm really comfortable to stand powerfully in my own story. And I understand now that my story and my childhood is my perspective of my childhood and the reality that I lived of my childhood, which may be different to the way that my mum saw it or the way my dad saw it or the way that my sisters experienced it. You know, we were raised in a home with the same parents and the same experiences, but their reality and the way that they saw it and felt amongst that could have been very different to the way I did. And that is so okay. That is so okay and I have gained that courage and confidence to share my story from my perspective. And so I really want to just preface by saying that this is just my reality in the world that I have lived in and it could be very different to the world in which my other family members lived in. And in telling my story, I will be sharing a little bit about my family. Um, However, I won't go into too much detail just to honour 
their story and their privacy. But it is it is my dream to have my family come onto the podcast in the future um, to share episodes with me and to ask questions and for us to talk about our, our experiences. And so, um, yeah, saying that, let's dive in. So, I mean, some of you may have even found this podcast and don't even know who the fuck I am. <laughs> I'm Hayley. I'm Hayley Curtis, but I was born Hayley Sky Marsland. And I was born in Perth, Western Australia, on May 8th, 1990, to my parents, Annette Marsland at the time. She's now Annette de Hoog, and my dad, Brett Marsland. And I was the middle of three girls. So I have an older sister whose name is Chelsea and she's two years older than me and I have a younger sister, Christy, who is four years younger than me. And I had the opposite of middle child syndrome growing up. <laughs> the absolute opposite of middle child syndrome. I loved being the middle child and I always had a sense that I got the best of both worlds as being the middle child. I got to be a little sister and I got to be a big sister. And like I always celebrated my difference being that middle child, which always actually seemed to be the case. I always seemed to have this difference about me when it came to the way that we did things. Down to, you know, in the mornings we would have a, a juice cup every morning and mum would fill it with, a, with um, a beverage for us and we'd get up and have our juice cup first thing in the morning. Both my sisters, they would have juice in their juice cup, but I would have milk, right? Or if we were getting lunch somewhere, my sisters would both order a sausage roll, but I would have a pie. Like I would legit, like every little thing, I, it was always like I was not the odd one out because when it comes to three and there's three of you growing up as children. It's always sort of two against one. So sometimes it would be Chelsea and I and Christy would be the outcast or sometimes it would be Chelsea and Christy and I'd be the outcast or it would be Christy and I and Chelsea would be the outcast. But when it came to sort of like the basics of life, I always felt like there were little things about me that were different. And instead of that being something that made me question myself, I think that right from a young age, I really celebrated that. And that difference even legit comes down to my sisters and I, we have a matching sisters tattoo and I put matching in quotation marks because we decided upon this tattoo, we've all got these three triangles that connect because obviously there's three of us. So the triangle has three sides and then three triangles three girls and then we each have a different triangle colored in so I've got the middle one colored in Chelsea has the first one colored in and Christy has the last one colored in and as we were planning this tattoo we all wanted it slightly differently so mine was going to be slightly bigger and I was going to have a bit of purple in my triangle then my younger sister Christy she was going to have hers the same size as Chelsea's a bit smaller but she was going to have orange in her triangle and then Chelsea was going to have plain black um, with black in her triangle and so I was like cool like we're all getting the matching tattoo but it's a bit different I went first and I got mine a little bit bigger and purple and Chelsea went next and she got hers small and plain black and then it was Christy's turn and she was going to get her one with the orange and she goes oh actually I really like Chelsea's one I'm going to get exactly the same as that and so even that signifies that celebration of, of sort of what it means to me to be the middle child they have the exact same matching sisters tattoo and mine's bigger and a different color <laughs> that's just that sort of sums up to me the experience of being a middle child um, and I love it I absolutely love being the middle child and I adore my sisters and that is something that I feel very, very blessed to experience in this life is having two sisters who I just, I can't even put into words how much they mean to me and it's, it's so glorious because we're all so different. We are so, so different, especially Chelsea and I. We are very different people. And then Christy, our younger sister, she's almost like 
a hybrid of Chelsea and I. She's halfway between the two of us. And so the three of us together is this glorious dynamic, a very supportive dynamic. We don't agree on everything, but that's the beauty of it. And there is always so much love and laughter there. So much love and laughter there. And I have been living separate from my sisters for the last over two and a half years now. I moved countries and that was such a difficult thing to do, to leave that safety net of my sisters who really are my best friends. Um, and it's been really interesting to be have done life for the last two and a half years without them right there. Um, and we're not giant communicators either. And so we predominantly communicate through Instagram reels, <laughs> as everyone does. Um, but we, you know, and I speak on the phone with my younger sister, but my older sister, like we, we hardly, we hardly talk um, on the phone. And it is, it's been such an interesting season to navigate without having them right there. Um, and so they've they've just played such a vital role in my life and will continue to play a vital role in my life. Um, and yeah, they're, they're just two very, very special women. And I'm looking forward to possibly sharing more about them. That's completely up to them. Um, like I said, I'm not going to share things um, about other people's lives. Um, just because I feel like it, it needs to be something that, that they feel comfortable with sharing. So we'll see. Maybe they'll be on the podcast in the future or maybe they'll submit some questions for us to ask and maybe they'll come on and give their perspective of, of me from childhood, which I think is so fascinating and so interesting. Um, so in terms of my childhood, I, I, really, I really enjoyed my childhood. And yes, there were elements of trauma and bits and pieces that were really difficult, which I will share um, as we go along with this podcast episode. But for the most part, I really did love my life as a child. And I was an extremely vibrant little soul, extremely vibrant. And I would often be told that I lived in my own little world of sunshine and rainbows. That's what that's what they'd say. Mum would always say that and Chelsea would say that to me sometimes too. Mum would be like, oh, Haley, you just live in your own little world. And I really did to an extent. Like I was an extremely optimistic child and I would find the fun and the joy in almost everything, which has both been a brilliant part of who I am and it's had its own issues, which will be more in the next episode as we talk about when I started to really decline with my health. It was a very difficult thing to navigate. And so school for me was really the first place that fear and anxiety began showing up in my world. And at the time, I didn't have that understanding yet. And there wasn't really the awareness around anxiety back in the early 90s at that stage anyway, you know, I don't think that um, the adults around me recognized that I was experiencing anxiety and I didn't have the language or, or the understanding to know that that's what it was. But looking back, that was absolutely what I began experiencing as a five, six-year-old going to school. And my year one teacher was the major place where this began. So I went to kindy and I went to pre-primary as a four and five-year-old and there was no anxiety involved. It was year one for me where it began because my year one teacher was a really bitter, old, mean woman. And it was my first experience of feeling like I had to please and I had to do the right thing in order to be safe. I felt very unsafe in that environment. And this teacher, she she would... um. She would lock kids in the cupboard and she would just oh, scold and shame children. And it was just such a scary environment for me to be in, having grown up in a home that there wasn't any of that. And I was sort of, I guess looking back, I can see I was facing parts of the world that just seemed so foreign to me at the time. And this is when I started experiencing separation anxiety. 
from my mum at the first for the first time. And I I can distinctly remember these tantrums as what they would be called that I would throw or my mum would call it making a scene. <laughs> Have you ever had that where your mum's like, oh, she'd be like, Hayley, stop making a scene. Hayley, please don't make a scene. But man, oh man, would I make a scene because I did not want to leave my mum because I was fucking petrified. I was petrified and this is really where my separation from home began it was the separation from my mum because I saw my mum as home and I was being sent off to have to go and be with this mean scary teacher that I just didn't feel safe and so that's really where it all started to begin and my schooling experience really became a dance for me between expressing this joy and my naturally rebellious sort of larrikin nature that I have, but at the same time dancing them between making sure I was a good girl and I didn't get in trouble. Like I was petrified of getting in trouble. I remember as a kid, early, early days of school, I couldn't understand the kids in the class that would be naughty or would break the rules because I'm like, what the fuck are you doing, mate? Why would you want to do that and get in trouble? I was so scared of getting in trouble. And, you know, I had some other signs of anxiety in childhood too that I never realized weren't normal. I never realized that it was anxiety at the time. Like I did little athletics um, for since I was eight years old through to 13. So I, I competed um, I competed in athletics and every weekend we'd have our athletics meets and I would have chronic diarrhea every Saturday for little athletics because I was so anxious about competing and I didn't realize that that wasn't healthy <laughs> at the time. I just thought that was normal or things like I um, – I would have to quit things that I loved like dance classes or acrobats classes because I couldn't bear being away from my mom or I couldn't bear having to be surrounded by too many people that I didn't know. And this was this part that was sort of ruling my life in a way that lived and coincided with being this this child who was so full of natural joy and energy and laughter and fun and just like, oh, vivaciousness, but at the very same time, like crippled with anxiety. And there was just right from the get-go for me, there was this big polarity between what I was feeling, but I definitely leaned more into that, that fun, vibrant side and sort of tried to not acknowledge that more anxious part of myself. And so herein began the battle within me. You know, on one hand, I was this extroverted, just, full of life little girl but on the other hand I was also petrified that someone was going to hurt me petrified that someone was going to hurt me and that became one of the biggest fears that I've had to unpack and unravel and unwind from as I've journeyed home to myself and a lot of this fear was passed down to me generationally and has been a massive part of my journey home and you know this generational trauma and this fear that I grew up with this is a great time to introduce you to my beautiful mum my beautiful mum oh my gosh my eyes are filling with tears Whew, didn't expect that um my mum I adore my mum and I always did as a child I just thought that my mum was the queen of everything, the queen of life. And I thought that there was no one in this world that could do anything in the way my mum could do it. Like I just, I worshipped her. I really worshipped my mum growing up. And she was an extremely loving parent. And I have so much gratitude for the way that my mum cultivated this loving environment that she raised us in. However, my mum, of no fault of her own, ex experienced some really, really horrible, horrendous childhood trauma. 
And um, I chatted with my mum on the phone uh, the other day to ask her if she was comfortable with me sort of sharing bits and pieces of that. And um, to my surprise, she was just so open and willing. And um, yeah, I just, and thank you, mum. I know mum will be listening to this. Absolutely. Thank you, mum, for being transparent in that way. Um, Because it's, as much as it's um, mum's story to tell, and I'll probably have her on the podcast one day to talk about this more, um, it's also woven into my story too. Uh, because the bond between a mother and her child is so strong, especially when you come down to the scientific things of like my mum as a child, everything she experienced as a child, she was carrying me already right from her birth as an egg within her womb. And so the things that she experienced, this is how this, this stuff gets passed down to us. But not only that, due to the trauma that my mother experienced as a young child, she grew up with a lot of fear. And that fear was passed down to myself and my sisters. And this is not in the slightest a blame game. I hold no blame towards my mum. I, I did in, in the early phases of my recognizing myself because I was still in that place of victimhood myself. But as I have come to understand the nature of our journeys and the nature of generational wounding and the nature of all of these things, I hold zero blame and only love and compassion and just... Ugh, my heart aches for my mom and the things that she has gone through and it's it's so okay that that resulted in things being passed down to myself and my sisters and so we were raised in an environment of so much love but also an environment where we were taught to fear a lot to always be on the lookout because there was someone that wanted to hurt you I grew up believing that I was never safe unless I was like locked up in the house with my dad right there. Um, I grew up believing that, um, can you really trust someone? Or I just always thought that there was going to be an attack around the next corner. And I think that had a lot to do with the anxiety that I ended up um, generating throughout my childhood and then I would have experiences as a child that I was collecting as evidence to prove that I wasn't safe you know instead of looking for evidence to prove as to why I was safe I was looking for the opposite and you know what you always find what you're looking for and so I found a lot of reasons to believe that I was unsafe as a child and um, as as I've journeyed home to myself, I've been healing that generational line and that generational trauma. And um, I just, it's such an important part of my story as well as it being an important part of my mum's story. And so that's a little snippet of that, that that's all I'll share right now, but we'll definitely have mum on the podcast in the future and, and she can share her story herself. Um But then my dad, so that's mum, beautiful, loving woman that comes with fear and trauma. Then I have my dad who came with his own set of issues. My dad, he never felt loved as a child and it showed in the way in which he showed up in the world. He was a man that was full of laughter and light and cheekiness. Oh my gosh, my dad was so cheeky. Um, But at the very same time, he was full of deep anger and an inescapable internal pressure to sort of fight against life. Um, And it's like he sort of lived in this world of every man for himself. Um, He lived in this world of... Almost like when I think of my dad, I I think of him feeling like a failure. I feel like he grew up feeling like he was never good enough. and, And that infiltrated into his adulthood. And so, you know, together, my parents, uh, they did the best that they could, as I believe most of our parents do. And 
the best that they could do was actually fucking phenomenal. Absolutely phenomenal. And my mum was so ridiculously loving that I didn't even realise at the time how absent my dad actually was in my life. Um, and it hasn't even been until like my later years, in my late 20s, early 30s, that I really came to the understanding of just quite how absent he actually was and how much that's been connected to my journey home. But at the time, mum just created such a loving environment, I didn't even notice. I mean, how freaking amazing is that? But that's a little bit about, you know, a little snippet of my parents in which I grew up with. And like I was really scared of my dad as a child at the same time of just loving him so much. And I just wanted my dad to see me. I wanted him to love me. I wanted him to be interested in me. But a lot of the time that's not what I got. And he did his best. Again, it's the same as my mum. I hold no blame towards my dad. I hold shitloads of compassion towards him and the life that he lived and the way that he really tried. He tried and I honour him for that. And there is no blame game here. There is no blame game on the journey home. So that's a little bit about my parents, a little snippet of the environment in which I grew up in. And in terms of the fear, okay, so there's a lot of fear going on in my childhood already. And to add to my fear, I had a, I had a sexual assault experience when I was 12 years old that really shook me, really fucking shook me at the time. And I can see that it shook me even more so because of the conditioning in which I grew up with. It was another confirmation that I was most definitely not safe in this world. And it wasn't safe to be seen. It wasn't safe to be a kind person. And it wasn't safe to be this vivacious, big energy girl that I was. Because the man who actually assaulted me and two of my friends at the time when I was 12... He actually had walked past us earlier. We were down at the park. He'd walked past us earlier and I gave this huge big wave with a smile like, hi, hope you're having an amazing afternoon because that's so naturally me, right? Only for him to circle back around later and assault us. And in that moment, it sort of dropped for me of, oh, you're not safe to be you, Haley. You're not safe to be full of life. You're not safe. And like that really started to infiltrate and corrupt my beliefs about myself and my beliefs about life. And herein begins the story of be yourself, Haley, but not too much of yourself. Be joyful, but not too much. Be seen, but not too much. And this feels like a good time to bring in the body image slash what it means to be a woman story. Because right from a young age, I was groomed to believe that my looks were my biggest and really only asset. That being pretty was all that mattered. That having a beautiful body was all that mattered. And it was the one thing that I was constantly praised for. And I'm not here to say that, uh, <laughs> woe is me. I was a child who was just told that I was pretty all of the time. Because like, again, this isn't about blame and it's not about like, oh, that was a bad thing. But it did groom me as a child with this young developing emotional and physical and mental bodies believing that that was what I was here to bring the world because that's all people would ever tell me was worthy about me. And so this was mixed in with even more toxicity by being told um, that my good looks and my joy of dance, because I was such a little dancer as a kid, I was told that my good looks plus the way that I would dance meant that I would grow up to be a stripper. And this was literally something that I was told since about the age of five, six, seven years old. 
like when my parents would have people over for drinks or whatever and we'd have the music. I was such a little performer. I'd just put music on and I'd dance around and they would be like, oh, she's going to be a stripper when she grows up. And they'd laugh and praise me for the way that I could move my body from like the age of like six or seven. Sounds pretty fucked up when I say it now, but it's just the era in which you grew up in. Um, and so I grew up believing that that was my worth and that that was my lot in life. So from the age of about five to 25, I was obsessed with the way that I looked. Obsessed. Like I remember even in high school, I would have my mum write me fake notes that said that I had my period to get out of swimming purely because I couldn't stand the idea of having to go to school with wet hair. Like like I was so <laughs> caught up in the way that I looked that that felt like, oh, I couldn't do it. I couldn't do it. I couldn't get in the water. I couldn't do this. I, I just couldn't handle it. And, you know, it was drilled into me not just from the people that were around me and not just from the environment I grew up in, but from the media and the culture as well, that my looks were my worth. And that impacted me on so, so many levels and in very, very many ways and ways in which I'm still revealing to this day. You know, sometimes I'll notice something and I'm like, whoa, that's connected to this element of my body image growing up, you know. And, man, there is a lot to that in my story and um, there will definitely be podcast episodes digging more into that because, again, it was a very big part of my journey home to myself. And so enter high school. Enter high school. <laughs> Just like primary school, I, I really did love high school. Yes, it came with its anxieties and its overwhelm and its feelings of being unsafe and, and all of those things that I've carried with me throughout my life. But my pure joy for life really overrode that and I experienced more joy than anxiety in high school. And looking back, like I hit a really pivotal point in high school where I could sense I was sort of falling in with quote unquote the wrong crowd and I made a decision at 13, I was probably 12 even still, 12 years old, to pull back and make a new set of friends. And boy, oh boy, <laughs> was that the best decision that I, I made in my high school years. Um, you know, the thing that made my high school experience so phenomenal was my group of friends. My group of friends. Um, there were six of us. Um, Tamara, Tamara, Melissa, Brianna, and Lisa, and me. And they are still such close friends of mine to this day. And laughter. I spent most of my high school years in laughter. I used to have to, I'd always have a spare pair of undies in my bag in high school because chances were I was going to wet my pants and pee through my undies, which I did a few times, <laughs> and have to throw them in the bin and change underwear because we would laugh so much. And so those years of 13 to 17 were just laughter with, of course, hard times sprinkled in amongst. And one of those hard times was at 15, out of the blue, my parents got divorced. And it was only out of the blue for me because I had created my sunshine and rainbows land where I thought everything was perfect. Um, and so my parents' divorce was a massive shock for me, massive, even to the point that I cracked a joke. When my parents sat us down, they were like, okay, girls, we've, we've got something that we need to talk to you about. And I cracked this joke. I was like, oh, you guys aren't going to tell us you're getting divorced, are you? <laughs> And my dad just looked at me and he goes, yes, sweetie, we are. And the rug got ripped out from underneath me in that moment. It was sort of one of those first pivotal moments where I was like, holy shit, everything isn't as it seems to be. It was also the first time I ever saw my dad cry. 
and that shook me. You know, when when you see your dad cry for the first time, um, it really it shook me in in many more ways than one. Um, but I think the biggest thing about my parents' divorce, there is a helicopter flying across us right now and I'm not going to hit pause because I'm just I feel like I'm just going and I don't want to stop enjoy you know I I feel like this was such a a pivotal moment because it was it sort of it formed a belief for me at age 15 that even when things look like they're going well it's not you know my parents never fought I never heard my parents raise their voice at each other. I never heard my parents say a bad word about each other. I thought they were deeply in love. I thought that they just, it was the relationship that I was just growing up to find because it was perfection. And in that moment, I found out that was all a lie. I found out that was all a lie. And my dad had been living a lie um, for eight years with another woman Um, and the one thing that my dad did with us as children was on the weekends for quite a long while there on the weekends our thing was dad would take us ice skating and I felt so special and so seen and it was the one thing that dad would do with us and I was like oh my gosh he does he does love me he wants to spend time with me and in that divorce I found out that the only reason dad took us ice skating was because he was meeting up with um the woman that he was seeing and at ice skating and so it sort of it ripped more things out from underneath me than just simply my parents marriage but in classic Haley fashion I bounced back very quickly um, and I was very quick to focus on all of the good aspects of a divorce like how I was going to get double birthday and Christmas presents and I would get double the love and like I get more adventures and I get double holidays and in my very optimistic Haley ways um, I, I navigated that quite quickly you know there was like a week there when I was in despair and then it was like I just cool let's keep going let's find the good in this and um, that's something that's been a blessing for me but also a curse for me because then I never truly felt my feelings to their full degree and I've had to do that in my later years Um, but looking back I am so incredibly grateful that my parents decided to part ways because it opened them both up to being more of who they truly were And in my dad's final five years of life, um, I actually got to see him in more of his true happiness and personality Um, because I got to see him in this version of him that wasn't living a lie, that wasn't harboring all of this guilt and shame and secrecy. I got to see him in his final years of life where he was actually living true to himself and he actually he actually became so much just more full of light and I'm very grateful that I got to witness that part of my dad Um, but unbeknown to me at the time my self-worth continued to dwindle as my high school years came to an end and subconsciously I was just waiting for a man to come along and love me so that I could live my destined life as a trophy wife and be happy because that's what I was told I was destined to be. And so I thought, well, that's what I'll do. I was just waiting for a man to love me. And I was a very bright child uh, and I loved to learn. I was quite intellectual. But with my upbringing and the worldview that I'd formed, I had no desire to really do anything with my intellect I had no desire to really be anything like looking back I can see that I never believed that I could be anything and so why bother trying and I locked on to the idea that I would be a personal trainer when I was about 10 years old that's what I decided cool I'll be a personal trainer because obviously it had a lot to do with body image and I thought cool I can do that 
And I grabbed onto that as my plan all the way through school. And so when it came time in year 11 and 12 to do, um, to choose our TEE subjects, which is sort of like, um, like the, the, the subjects that you study hard to get into university with. I boycotted all of that and I did the easiest vocation subjects I could possibly choose. And, you know, this was probably equal parts my own passivity as it was my deep-seated belief that I didn't need to follow the system to be successful. So there was little bits of rebellion in me there. Um, But at the same time, it was really just... I didn't have that drive to really utilize um, my really bright mind to do anything because I thought, well, who cares? My my intellect has nothing to do with my worth. It's just the way I look is my worth, so why bother? Like even when I told my year 10 math teacher I wasn't continuing on with like calculus and, and math into TE, he was so angry with me. Um, like I was throwing away my entire life because I was so bright and why am I why why are you not pursuing that but that was just the the world view I held at that time I just didn't value I just didn't value that because I didn't see the value in myself but I thought I did I thought that I valued myself and I thought I loved myself but it wasn't until my later years that I realized that I actually didn't and so in those last, that last year of high school, enter the high school boyfriend and my first quote-unquote love. I thought that I was in love at the time. Um, but of course, when you end up meeting the true love of your life, you recognize, holy shit, I didn't even know what love was. But to 17-year-old me, I thought that I was deeply in love and I thought that I had found my purpose, right? Because when your purpose is wrapped up in the way that you look and these warped ideas around what it is to be a woman, you can think that your purpose is in a man. And so as much as I'm sure he's a decent person now... (laughs) or at the very least has the capacity to be an amazing human, just like all of us do. He treated me like a sack of shit. Sack of shit. And of course, that was reconfirming to me that I wasn't worthy enough. I wasn't pretty enough. I had one job, make a man love me, and I couldn't do it. Couldn't do it. And... um you know, things within our relationship, you know, he he cheated on me in year 12 of school and he slept with another girl from school and that just cut me so deep to the bone at that time because it cut me so deeply because of all of these worldviews and ideas and sense of worth and the way that I believed that life worked. Of course, it cut me to the bone at that time. And, um, you know, throughout, all throughout this time of my life, even though I had so many toxic thoughts and beliefs around my worthiness in the world, I simultaneously had an inkling, though, that I was made for more and this has been something that's always been there for me like this little tiny light that we all have inside of ourselves and it's like in life I could always sense that little flicker I could always sense this little light inside of me that was like ah maybe I have it all wrong maybe my worth isn't in these things maybe I am destined for more I, I had this, this little thing in me that's like, ah, but you, you're meant to be a woman of impact. You're meant to do this or you're meant to do that. And there's something, you know, I, I could sense my own magic, but I couldn't quite grasp it. I couldn't quite grasp it. And so at the age of 19, I um, set off to the other side of the world to be a personal trainer on cruise ships because I was seeking... Just, I was seeking myself, obviously, I know that now. At the time, I had no clue what I was seeking. I thought I was seeking a more glamorous life. I thought I was seeking more experience, to feel more alive, to, I don't know. Who fucking knows what I was looking for at that time? What I was really looking for was me. 
and I thought that I had to go across the other side of the world and go and work on a luxurious giant cruise ship doing personal training which is what I thought that I wanted to do in the world to find that and so I went at 19 years old this child who really just, you know, and I'm still full of fear at this time, so I'm so surprised that I went. Um, it's like I had to, it's, I just had to go, and it's, it was such an important time in my life to go and do this. And it lasted all of three months, <laughs> and I was meant to be gone for 12, but it lasted three months because I had a massive heart-dropping moment once I was on the ship. I went to London first and did... Um, all of this training to go and then I got placed on a ship and they flew me out to Miami from there and then I was on this ship that would um, do cruises through the Caribbean. I was on a Nor- I was on the Norwegian Dawn was the boat that I was on and I had this heart-dropping moment in the first few days of being on that boat where I was like, Haley, what the fuck are you doing? What the fuck are you doing? Working on the cruise ships was my first humbling moment of life. And it didn't happen until I was 19. That shows how much of a sheltered life I experienced. Yes, I had moments of trauma and went through stuff. But for the most part, I lived a very sheltered life. And so working on the cruise ship was my very first time that I really stopped to think about who I am and what I truly wanted because I never really had a reason to stop and think about that up until then. And it made me realize that I had this warped world view and this warped view of this glamorous life that I thought that I wanted to live. And, you know, I went to go work on the cruise ships to live this lush life, this idea of this lush life that I thought that I was meant to live. But I was surrounded by other workers who were on that boat out of pure necessity and I shared a room with people who would cry themselves to sleep each night because they had to be on that ship to send money back to their family so that their family could eat and that all they wanted to do was be with their family but they couldn't be because they had to be here earning money to send it back and they were just devastated. And then there was me who had an incredible family, incredible opportunities back home and I left it all for this like that was that moment I had I was like what am I doing everybody else that's here is here because they have nothing else nowhere else to be nothing else to do and they're here out of necessity no one wants to be here I chose to come and be here why the fuck would I do that and then to add to this things started getting really creepy on the boat as well because um most of the staff were men um, and they were um, men who were there out of necessity and um, a lot of the workers, if you didn't work in the most, the more prestigious areas like I did in the spa, you weren't even allowed out of the hallways, the green vinyl hallways and the, the freaking watertight doors. They weren't even allowed to be seen by anyone on the boat and so we, always had the vibe of living in a male prison and it started getting creepy and I'd get calls in the middle of the night um, to my room or I'd have people leaving shit at my door Um, and yeah I started I was like nope I don't want to be here Um, and of course the moment that I told my dad about what was happening he had me on the next flight home and um, it's very lucky to have parents who were able to even do that for me like even the fact that I had the I had the option to leave um showed the privilege that I had in my life that I had not understood up until that point and so I was on the next flight back home and so you know Haley was back in Perth and on to her next thing So I did that. I had this wake-up call. What the fuck am I doing? It made me realize that I, I was not valuing the life that I had enough back home. And I came back with this more humbled attitude. Um, it wasn't my homecoming, though. <laughs> I thought at the time, oh, my gosh, I've realized what life's about at 19. But no, no, I didn't. Not yet. Not yet. But it was an important part of my story. 
So I came back home to Perth and um, that's when I went to university and I studied to become a teacher. And because I realized pretty much the first week into becoming a personal trainer that I did not want to do this forever. <laughs> like, shit, my 10-year-old dream didn't quite fit with the reality of, of my life moving forward. Surprise, surprise. <laughs> and so, you know, after about 10 minutes um, of thinking about what might I do or what might I be good at, teaching was chosen. I decided, cool, I'll be a teacher then. Really quickly, this was sort of the style of my life. I just make these quick decisions and sweet, that's what I'll do. And so I went to uni for four years to become a teacher. And I was the world's worst student. Same pattern as school, you know, very bright, but just, ah, I just never valued myself enough to like put the effort in. And so I would skip class all the time and... I never did a single reading like we'd have, you know, you get your readings for the week for your units. I never did a single one that I had this knack for the content and I have a knack for being able to learn. And so I would ace my assignments and, you know, I'd never start an assignment sooner than 24 hours before it was due. And, um, you know, I had this motto for uni and my motto was P's get degrees and P's stands for a pass, which means you just have to get 50% to pass and, if I could just get 50% and everything, I could pass and have my degree and go and be a teacher and cool, I'll do that. And so I just really, I just never put much effort in, never put much effort in, which back then I thought was because that was just who I was. But now I understand it was just always the result of my doing the things that I thought I should do instead of the things that actually lit up my soul. Because I am actually a woman who puts so much effort into things. But I put effort into the things I'm passionate about. And so, you know, doing these things that I thought I should do um, resulted in, in me creating these false beliefs about myself that I wasn't a person that put in effort. And that was a lie. I just wasn't in the right places and I wasn't following my heart. And so I spent most of my uni years working at one of the biggest nightclubs in Perth on the weekends. I was a bartender there and I would go to work at 9pm and come home at 7am on the weekends and I was addicted to Red Bull to get through the days during the week um, because I was so tired because I'd stay up all night on the weekends and then just smash Red Bull all week so that I could get through the weeks and I thought I was living the dream, you know, I thought I was living the fucking dream. <laughs> But I absolutely was not. I was running myself into the ground. I was um, giving myself adrenal fatigue. I was fucking up my health. And, um, and I was doing things that I just thought I should be doing. But they're all important parts of my story. And at my time working at the nightclub, I had another experience to confirm my beliefs around uh, never being safe when two random women jumped the bar at 5 a.m. and laid the fuck into me. I went into complete freeze mode. Um, I just put myself into a tiny little ball while they repeatedly punched me, ripped out my hair. Um, and it was a horrible, very, very scary experience. And that rocked me more than I even recognized at the time. And I only really healed from that experience a couple of years ago on my inner road, um, my journey home to myself. Because... You know, it was just another thing compiling on top of all of these childhood beliefs that I wasn't safe. And so, you know, right up until the age of like 18, 19, I could not be at home alone um, ever. You know, like even if I was home alone during the day, I'd be petrified and I most definitely would not be home alone at nighttime when it was dark. I couldn't even walk out to the bins to put something in the bin because I was just always petrified that there would be someone there that was just going to murder me or rape me or, you know, assault me. I was just always so petrified. And so even though that experience was just, I mean, it was pretty horrific, but it's not as horrific as, as attacks come. It just was confirming that for me. And so, you know, that job, that job of being a bartender was a terrible way <laughs> to reconfirm to me that my looks were my worth 
because depending on what I would wear to work would depend on the amount of money I would make in tips. And Australia is a country that doesn't even tip, yet if I wore hardly anything to work, I would walk away not only with my wage for the night, but a shitload more money from people throwing money at me because of the way I looked. And so, oh gosh, Haley back then, she thought that she knew who she was, but she had absolutely no clue. She was living off the fuel of validation, living off the fuel of achievement, because even though I didn't give a shit, I still did give a shit. And so like, even though I wouldn't put effort in, it was still important to me that I did well. And I would do well because I was just a bright person and I was living off of that as fuel um, fuel of identity telling me who I was but I didn't know it and you know my own little world of sunshine and rainbows that I'd lived in as a child had mutated into a false world of scrambling for worth while simultaneously having no motivation to do anything with my life But I was having enough fun, getting enough validation, had enough good relationships, had a good enough family and awesome friends to remain complacent in my la-la land, to remain complacent in my toxic thoughts and behaviors. I'd become so complacent in my own false view of reality that I believe I would have plotted along with that false world, living this lackluster existence for the rest of my days. I I believe that's what would have happened if life had just stayed the same. But then my world got turned upside down. My world got turned upside down at 21 My dad died completely out of the blue at 21. He just dropped dead one day from a heart attack at 55 years old. And this man, even though uh, had had his shortcomings as a father, but regardless of that, he was... Oh, he just meant so much to me. He was my safety. He was just my fallback. He was... He was unconsciously holding me in life. And so when he suddenly exited this world without any preparation, without any foresight of that coming, my world was never the same again. And that really was the original catalyst for where my journey home began. So I spent my first 21 years, my first three seven-year cycles, which as we start to dive into the gene keys more in this podcast, you'll come to see how important those first three seven-year cycles are. And they really are that time of, of straying from home. And so at 21, boom, my life got turned upside down and my journey back home began. So that's where I'm going to leave it. For this very first episode and in part two we're going to pick up right there and we're going to do the second half of my story which is my journey back home because it started at 21 and now I'm 33 and those 12 years have been hectic but incredible and have taken me to the depths of despair have taken me to just places I never thought that life would take me and they've all led me into the depths of my soul and home to myself. So thank you so much for taking an hour out of your life just to hear about mine just to hear about who who Haley was in her first 21 years. And I mean, to explain to you my first 21 years in one hour is to skim over so many things. But uh, as this podcast continues, we'll be 
going back and picking up on different experiences and things like that. But in a nutshell, that's who I was growing up. And I'm really excited for the next episode because those first 21 years, that's not really me because I didn't know who I was. I was being told who I was or who I should be or trying to figure out my way in this world. And it's in the next part of my story that I really stepped into who I am, who I am. But those first 21 years will always be an important part of me and and an important part of my story. And it's been an honor to share it with you today. Thank you so much for joining me today. It is such an honor to bring my heart directly to your ears. The TJH podcast is in her early days. So if you could take a quick moment to leave a rating on Spotify or write a review on Apple Podcasts, I would be extremely grateful. And if you enjoyed the episode, I encourage you to share it with a friend to help spread the Journey Home message far and wide across the globe. I deeply appreciate you and I will chat to you again very soon.